0: Welcome to the latest edition of In The Know, when we discuss current market conditions. What a time to be doing that today, given the current geopolitical situation. Um, last year, we interviewed as part of our series, Ed Parks from Brooks McDonald, and I'm very pleased that he's joining us again today. So good morning, Ed. Welcome. Good morning. What a time to be having a conversation about market conditions.
1: Indeed, it's been um, highly volatile against a, a tragic humanitarian crisis. So I think it's been in, a, in the same way as the pandemic felt highly personal. Um, I, I think people are, are kind of navigating this crisis in, in a similar manner. And it's difficult to separate out the, the humanitarian and the human cost uh, of all of this with the financial impact. But clearly, that's the, the focus we'll have uh, today.
0: Yes, very much, very much. So it, it's we often talk about that, that um, people's decisions when it comes to investment are, driv- are driven very often by fear and by greed. Mm-hmm. I suspect that this time it, there's an awful lot of fear going around.
1: There is there is a huge amount of fear, and you can see that just in terms of the the volatility that we're seeing both in, in equity markets bond markets uh, commodity prices um the the oil price or or particularly the natural gas price has been uh, jumping around a huge amount we've seen uh, nickel only earlier this week uh, rally at 250% in in 2 days so we we're, we're seeing um huge moves in in the markets and that's because historically markets have really struggled to price in geopolitical risks it's a it's an unknown, it's a left field event until it starts occurring. And then the the second order effects and the impacts are are very difficult to gauge.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that about geopolitical events, because I looked at some research that Deutsche Bank published, I think about a week or so ago, where they had taken a look at the 30 largest geopolitical or domestic US political events over the last 80 years. Um, And they were arguing that on average, markets fell by around about 5.7% over a three-week period, um, but they then came back quite quickly. This feels to me as though it's probably going to take a bit longer for markets to try and get back to an even keel, because there are other things at play, aren't there?
1: There are. So, I mean, we came into uh, the Ukraine crisis having had a, a mini-crisis in in financial markets themselves. If yes. You look at- first two or three weeks at the start of this year, there was a a classic kind of rate sell-off. Uh, we, we went from omicron uh, to uh expectations that omicron would in in some ways allow a bit of a, a policy exit for governments uh that then uh you know led to uh increased growth expectations for 2022 2023 um, which in part led to um heightened inflation expectations so uh that then led to a uh, interest rate uh, led led sell-off and and really that was kind of dominating the market sentiment in, in January there was a growing concern that that central bank would react so aggressively to the inflation we were seeing in the market uh, that they might actually cause uh, economic damage. They might actually cause a recession in 2023 or 2024. And and that was the context against which the Ukraine crisis happened. So, you know, going back to your comment about uh, fear or greed, I think there was still quite a lot of fear even before uh, Ukraine. So, again, it's difficult to really try and piece Uh, together which bits of the market movements we're seeing um, over the last two or three weeks are are entirely down to geopolitical risks or some of them are still reverberations from the volatility earlier in the year.
0: Yeah, see, I must admit, I, I have a view that, that the markets generally have been driven by concerns about inflation and, and worries about what central banks may or may not do to control inflation. It's really started before Christmas, I think, when the US Federal Reserve started to get a little bit hawkish and said, Well, we're looking to increase interest rates, we're looking to ease back on financial support that we provided the markets, and that then sent Various parts of the market into the jitters.
1: It did, and and it was really um, it, arguably in in December, uh, Jerome Powell spoke about the the risks of uh, uh, of kind of higher and tighter uh, or high rates and tighter monetary policy, and the market sort of ignored him, despite the fact he was he was chair of the Federal Reserve yeah. until the the minutes were released in early January from the December meeting for the market to really start to believe uh, that form of narrative. And I think it was that combination of Omicron was the the risk at the time that kind of made or, or, or create a two-way argument in markets that actually uh, monetary policy, fiscal policy wouldn't get much tighter because there was still this, this big uncertainty. Actually, yeah. when the uncertainty lifts a little bit, that's when um, you know people start applying classical economics again and say, "Well, actually, inflation uh, looks uh, looks pretty high, um, and even if it does moderate over the course of twenty twenty two, it will create an interesting policy backdrop for central banks." And I think that's where the the fear came in in in, in January.
0: Yeah, it was, it's this this whole thing, because I can, I can remember conversations with people December, January about inflation and was it transitory? Was it something more fundamental mm-hmm. than that? If it was transitory, we could expect it to fall by the end of the year and perhaps we wouldn't have so much interest rate rises. Uh, but that all seems to have dissipated now. Most people seem to be thinking, well, actually, inflation is not transitory at the moment. There's something more fundamental going on.
1: Well, I mean, uh, Jerome Powell, as as uh, chair of the Federal Reserve, he's tried to kill the word "transitory" and and temporary and all of these things, and and tried to kind of create a more moderate uh, tone. And I think that's where where markets are at the moment. There's a bit where. Uh, particularly when it comes to core um, inflation, uh, which is the inflation that removes uh, the volatile components of food and energy. With core inflation, the expectations are that that will start to slow coming into the uh, tail end of, of 2022, probably in the in the second half. And part of that is mathematical. And mm-hmm. If you're looking at the year-on-year numbers now, let's say for January, uh, you're comparing that against a uh, you know, a month where lots of countries were in lockdown and um, and there was a huge amount of um, economic disruption uh, due to due to the pandemic. When we get to you know let's say June, you're comparing that against a far more normal uh, June in 2021. So mathematically, um, some of these inflationary pressures will. Will start to to ease but i think the reality on our base case for 2023 will be that we will be in a a moderating um inflation backdrop so it, it can still well be in the us three and a half percent or, or so on the on the us core cpi number the question is whether it's expected to slow or not and, and the the big debate um, always is whether uh, the inflationary pressures become uh, self-fulfilling. And, and Jordan yeah. always points this out. is it's, it's not really inflation unless it happens year after year after year after year. And uh, clearly, and I think that's still a two-way argument in markets.
0: Exactly. That's That's interesting. Thinking about inflation and thinking about the context of the current geopolitical situation in, in Ukraine and, and which, you know, you read reports about, I think, did I read that they're the, the largest or one of the largest exporters of grain, for example, that clearly must mean that there, there are going to be other inflationary play, pressures at play mm-hmm. in the markets over the coming coming months and possibly years depending on how long this goes on for. Uh,
1: absolutely. I mean, there are, there are two aspects to this. There's one. Uh, the supply chain impact of the conflict itself and mm-hmm. there's it's the second order impact which is the supply chain impact of the sanctions which come as part of the of the conflict all of those together are are um, uh, you know, inflationary uh, forces. I mean, globalization is a deflationary uh, power. Sanctions and, and conflicts are, by their very nature, um, uh, going against that trend. So we, we should see inflationary consequences through it. I mean, the predominant uh, focus for markets, as as you say, be not be on wheat, um, uh, but also um, probably primarily on on energy supply and energy security. Um, energy prices have clearly gone up globally. You've you've got the two main um measures of of oil prices, WTI, which is u s and Brent, which is the kind of the international version. and And both of those have rallied um, uh, you know almost fifty percent um, at the point. Uh, Time of recording this, um, so far this year, um, natural gas has surged by over 100% European natural gas. So there are huge inflationary pressures coming from this. The, the questions are to the extent of which uh, supply chains can adapt uh, to uh, to these inflationary pressures. Um, we've seen conversations, you know, take place between the US and Iran, US and Venezuela. Um, uh, some more positive language coming out of uh, the UAE in terms of supply, for example. So the question is. To what extent has the, some of the pandemic uh, distortions that we know are still affecting supply chains? To what extent can even within that 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 world there be a, enough of an adjustment uh, to take some of the sting out of the inflationary tail? But short term, uh, un- undoubtedly, this will this will add to inflationary pressures.
0: If you think back over the last couple of years, there's been a big rise in, in, in interest in ESG uh, as being you know, in environmental, social, and in- corporate governance and investing do you think this is going to drive it further what's going on at the moment
1: so i i think um there there are kind of a couple of angles to that i mean in terms of renewable energy um in terms of the the world's focus on on renewable energy i don't think that goes away at all in one of the big discussions is uh energy independence and uh, the ability for countries who don't have access to uh, to fossil fuels or don't want to have access to fossil fuels how can they actually not be reliant on on other uh, other countries, some of whom of which have got, you know, uh, questionable um, political ties, and that's not just uh, Russia as a statement. So, yeah. um, I, I think medium-term um, renewables are the answer to to lots of these. There will be an increased focus on um, on fossil fuels, uh, U.S. shale, for example. Um, uh, you know, was really struggling to get capital investment uh last year and really for the last two or three years i think that will that will turn around and there'll be a in the short term a, a desire for energy independence whether that is fossil or whether it is uh, renewable but i think it it, it just further that uh, that demand i think the sg is an overall factor remains a a a strong barometer for the level of risk uh, an an investment is taking so when we're looking at esg for our for our core investment services we also run a, a response investment service which has a more of a sustainability slash impact sort of focus but for, our, for our core where we're using it as a risk i think it still remains uh, very important particularly during times of stress as you can have a, a a better feel for um how a company's earnings or a company's management will respond um to various crises and that is an important part of the mosaic of making an investment decision i i, I think for me the renewable energy story is really one of the things that could uh, come out of this um quite strongly as a theme um is actually there's gonna be a a limit in supply in terms of how quickly people can build uh, panels and and wind turbines but but there'll be a huge political pressure to do
0: it enormous political pressure to do it and move move, move things on. If, if we just move in the conversation on a, on a little bit, because clients' monies are going to be invested not just in the stock markets, mm-hmm. they're going to be invested in, in fixed interest securities, um, potentially exposure to commodities and, and, and the like, etc. If we look at inflation and the impact inflation and increasing interest rates would have on fixed interest, traditional argument says that as interest rates rise, the value of fixed interest securities fall. Is that, Proving to be a drag on portfolios at the moment, do you think the fixed interest market is considerably bigger than the the global equity market?
1: The, the fixed income market is huge, and I, I do think the um, the events of uh, of the last probably six months, in terms of the of this this real focus on inflation, real focus on rates, has changed our our fundamental view, which is that if you look on, over any long term uh, horizon. Interest rates are whether it's inflation adjusted or just in normal terms, extremely low. And we've therefore um, had a, a what we call a short duration uh, position. So that is a low exposure to, to interest rates. And we've been relatively defensive in terms of the amount of uh, credit risk and corporate risk that we will have in, in portfolios. And that still feels like the right place to be. I, I think there is there's probably it's it's a probably a slightly fairer um uh, price on, for example, the US year or the or the us 10 year um uh, sorry the, the uk guilt um 10 year guilt the the yield available there is slightly more attractive uh than it was um a year ago and and i think there will be a point where investors looking at um at look, looking at equity market volatility might be tempted into into fixed income securities mm. uh, but as to say if we do see um you know let's say we see a resolution of, of of the ukraine crisis we see a a bit more of a, a positive risk on tone all of those things will, will drive yields higher and and the losses in um long duration so Say a, a thirty year guild um, could be quite uh, substantial. So we still yeah. um you know have a a relatively defensive exposure to to fixed income assets. But you know, a broader um, answer to your to your question is, is just reflecting on the fact that it is extremely difficult to find um, assets that provide true uncorrelated protection in a low interest rate world. And that, that's what everyone's searching for. And and. Mm without trying to go into extremely complex products, which um, may or may not work or may attract very high fees, traditional asset classes don't provide safe havens in the way they they have done historically. But that is also a a support for equity markets. And uh, the fact that you can't get a a positive uh, yield after inflation is um, in government bond markets or, or any major government bond market is part of the reason why money uh, when it needs to be invested is flowing into equities and that's a structural support which hasn't gone away um whether that's due to the interest rate um uh, uh, rise expectations earlier this year or indeed the
0: ukraine crisis so you, m- you mentioned that about money flowing into equities which I, I agree i think that it certainly it certainly is happening but there's also a change isn't there in the in the kind of equities that an awful lot of people are now buying in that for the last decade or so it's all been about growth orientated stocks and now it seems to be a switch more towards value which has been out of fashion for quite a long time as far as i can remember
1: absolutely i mean it, this is one of the the big events that happened in january and i think that's one of the things that uh, drove client conversations and depending on the makeup of of portfolios whether they had a a, a growth bias or a or a value bias you had quite wildly different um, outcomes even though you know it was it was a, it was a negative month for equity market returns but but mildly negative at the headline. but below the surface we had this huge rotation um, between uh, between those investment stars. I think looking ahead, uh, the the case for growth is still there. And mm. you, you know, it, again, looking at the last couple of weeks, I think the the probability of a, you know, a more uh, stagflationary environment, i.e., a low economic um, growth combined with a high level of inflation, those risks have increased. Uh, yeah. Our base case for the next couple of years, or, or you know, 2023, 2024, is that we'll see. A slowing of economic growth we will see a, a moderation of inflation, and central banks will be will be cautious of being too aggressive against uh, inflation for fear they cause an economic upset. That's a, that's our sort of base case, and even in that base case, actually, that's quite a positive backdrop for growth uh, rather than value. But if stagflationary fears are out there, and um, I, I think they certainly are, um, you know, with with clients but also in the broader market, uh, the Growth equity market is is looking reasonably um, uh, reasonably strong to deliver in that situation because effectively when economic growth is scarce around the world, people will be willing uh, to pay for companies that can deliver growth over and above that fairly low level of GDP growth. Uh, so I I don't think it's the the end of the growth story. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's probably two other bits uh, to note on that. Uh, there is a big difference between your big Um, You know, your big tech uh, growth companies, whether that's Amazon, Apple, uh, Google, et cetera, who have um, strong uh, earnings power, um, uh, resilient income streams, et cetera. And there was a a much needed re-rating in speculative um, uh, technology and will that rally back uh, in the short term? I've, I've got very little conviction there. Mm. Will people look at Netflix and look at Google and say actually they've got strong income streams and 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 you know reliable subscriber bases? I I, I think they probably will. And uh, the ability to deliver um, earnings growth in a in a low growth environment um, will always be valued by by investors.
0: We touched earlier, Ed, on on central banks and central banks' reaction to trying to control inflation, and I and I mentioned the you know increasing interest rates, which is inevitable, really. I think at the moment. But the easing back of financial support, do you think that's probably not going to be as accelerated as perhaps maybe the markets first feared now, given think, the Ukraine situation?
1: Uh, absolutely. I, I think that is that is the big question in, in financial markets today. I mean, my, my view is that the... Central banks will react depending on their proximity to the crisis geographically. So, yeah. the ECB is going to be. It, so again, if you if you look at the ECB story, the ECB story was uh, no rate rises in twenty twenty two. President Lagarde came out and said, or dropped that um, that statement um, earlier in the year, created a, a, a sell off in um, in uh, European government bonds particularly pronounced in the periphery then that comment was rode back because actually everyone was concerned about yields in um, in Italy, Greece etc um, and what that means for financing so already before Ukraine I think the ECB was, was getting a bit more cautious um, clearly, the ECB, um, uh, when when they meet, are going to be discussing the the risks of of Ukraine, both in terms of those inflationary pressures, but also what happens in terms of economic growth. And I think it's a it's a very difficult backdrop for the ECB. But actually, uh, you know, they will be erring on the side of caution. For The Federal Reserve, I think it's a it's a more nuanced picture. Um, Jerome Powell has already said um, that they're watching Ukraine closely, but. The inflationary pressures um, will be will be dependent on what's happening in in the oil price, for example, not on mm. supply. And it's quite different in Europe because there's a risk that you have a supply shock where you simply you know, can't get access to oil and gas. Uh, whereas in the US, it's going to be more of a feature of, of paying more for it. So I, I think dependent on uh, on the geography, it's going to be quite different in terms of changing central bank. Um, very early on in in the Ukraine crisis market basically wiped out expectations of of, of interest rate hikes in, in Europe um, and dampen the expectations in the US. You know, At the time of recording this, uh, this podcast, a lot of that had come back already. So yeah. the, I think the market's probably taking a slightly more balanced view now that this might uh, lead to a bit more caution from central banks. But for the US in particular, they're probably still more focused on inflationary risks than geopolitical risks.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I would tend to agree with that. I'm going to try and try and wind this up if I if I can now. And I, I'm just going to cover something because as adv- as advisors, we could very often be accused of, of perhaps potentially taking a far too relaxed view when we have market conditions such as this. Um, the old um, response of, you know, trust me, I'm a doctor. It's OK because markets do rise in the long term. And we're there to reassure clients. Do you think that that particular adage, remains still the case today because clients are very fearful. Clients are worried about should we or shouldn't we be putting money into the markets at the moment, um, buying, selling, etc. Is that still true?
1: I think I I, I, I might, if I may, answer that in a slightly different way. And and one of the things that we did during the the depths of the the pandemics in March 2020 is we, we looked at our Favorite chart, and, and it's, it's perhaps odd I've got a favorite chart, but it is my favorite chart.
0: <laughs> all of you, manage, all of you managers have a favorite chart. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm at least consistent. With
1: my, favorite <laughs> chart. The, my favorite chart is is the earnings yield available on on, on equities. You can really do this on any any markets. That is the next twelve month equity earnings expected by the market um, divided by today's current price, and it's a good proxy for the level of returns expected by equities because dividend payout ratios will vary uh, according to different tax regimes and things like that. So, so we use equity earnings yield and we compare that against the yield available on, on cash and the yield available on government bonds. And if you go back 20, 30 years, the yields on those two were for, for quite uh, quite a bit of time, uh, uh, roughly similar. you got a, a fairly similar outcome whether you're investing in fixed income security or expected outcome, whether you're investing in um, uh, government bonds or, or equities. Mm-hmm. The gap at the moment is is vast, and I think for people with a longer term investment horizon, that chart is a, is a very powerful indicator of why uh, you know getting I- I exposure to to equities is sensible in the in the longer term. And it's particularly stark at the moment because of where inflation is. So the, the nominal uh, rates available on equities versus bonds gives you an idea of, of if you are going to invest, um, should you invest in equities or should you invest in bonds? The introduction of a higher level of inflation and inflation expectations over the next five, 10 years have, have surged, uh, not only due to Ukraine, but prior to that. Uh, that gives you an idea of, of whether you need to invest uh, to to retain the, uh, you know, the the purchasing power of your capital. Yeah. So I, I think at the moment um, it's never comfortable to uh, invest when when fear is the predominant emotion in, in markets. But I think I, I would always look back at that chart and say, this is the market is telling you that the really equities still remain one of the fewer games in town and, and inflation makes it uh, makes it quite painful to sit on the sidelines.
0: That, uh, that reminds me of a quotation which I, th- I think is accredited to Warren Buffett, which is uh, when markets are fearful, be greedy, when markets are greedy, be fearful, which um, is probably not a bad note to end on. Ed, I really do appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very, very much. I found that an interesting conversation. I do hope that our listeners did. And hopefully we can have you back again in the future.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Neil.
0: That's brilliant, Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you found this In The Know podcast, at least trying to make some sense of what is going on in the world today. Thanks very much.